The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke in the fourth chapter. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, my young friends, how is Lent going so far? Hmm? Mo, are you having a time? Yeah. Tully, how about you? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, it's good and difficult at the same time, isn't it? A lot of the time. Ian, how's it going for you? Um, okay, good job. So this is what I want you guys to remember, right? In, in each of our families, we're doing something a little bit different during Lent together. And sometimes it involves food, and sometimes it involves things that we do, or it could be the, the activities that we participate in. All of us are doing something different in our own houses. But what I want you to think about is, when you think about the things that we are setting aside or giving up during Lent, I want you to think about it like it is exercise. Okay? The purpose of exercise is to make us healthier, right? It's to make us stronger. We get stronger by doing exercises, okay? And it's important for us to remember that. 
Exercise makes our bodies healthier, but it also makes our minds and hearts healthier. And that's true whether we are going for a walk or we are playing on the playground or we are reading our Bible more or we are learning how to say no to things that don't really matter, right? All of those are ways that we grow stronger in our bodies and in our heads and in our hearts. But this is what I want to make sure that you guys hear, okay? Are you listening? God is not happier with you when you fast correctly, okay? God is not happier with you when you do Lent right, okay? God is always only proud of you, and God is always only pleased with you, and God only always loves you, okay? I want you guys to hear that. He loves us so much that he has done everything in order to save us from sin. Now, we've been talking about the creed, and the next phrase that we say in the creed is that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, took on flesh, that he became one of us. Jesus became one of us. You remember what we talked about last week, right? In the creed? For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Okay? And the word that we use is incarnate. He was incarnate from the Holy Spirit. Now that is a big word, and it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. What does that mean, incarnate? Who remembers the story of the Annunciation. Do you guys remember the story of when the angel came to the Virgin Mary? Tully, do you remember the story? I do. What is it? Um, It's where when Mary was sleeping, um, wasn't, what was the archangel's name? His name was Gabriel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He came to her and told her that she was going to have a baby and that you need to name your firstborn Jesus. Right. You're going to have a baby. And that you're going to name him Jesus. The angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. And he says, because he is going to save his people from their sins. Jesus' name means God saves. That's what Jesus means. It means God saves. Now, the Nicene Creed, every single time we say it, every single week, we say, we believe, we trust, right? That's what believe means. We trust, we trust that God came to us to save us. That Jesus Christ is the way that God has come to save us. That he became a real human, a real person just like you and just like me with a real body, a real body just like ours. But he didn't do that the way that you and I become human. But he did it because of the Holy Spirit. God became one of us. And so what that means is that Jesus is still God. All right? It's important for us to hear that. Jesus is still God. He doesn't become part of God or a little bit less of God. He's still God. The same God who spoke and all the world came into existence now has become a person just like us. And he doesn't just become sort of like us or he doesn't just look like us. He is just like us, completely and totally God and completely and totally a person, a human being just like you and just like me.
Now, a long time ago, about 1600 years ago, there was a saint who lived in uh, North Africa on the Mediterranean Sea, and his name was Augustine. And he wrote this. He said, this is Christ. Remember, Christ means king. This is our king. He is God from his father, and he is human from Mary. He was born of eternity as God, but he is born in purity from Mary. Now listen to what he wrote right here. Are you listening? From God, he is the beginning of life. And from Mary, he is the end of death. Jesus became one of us in order to save us. That's why the angel said to name him Jesus, that our king is named Jesus. Our king is named God saves. Now, in the coloring sheet that I have up front, there is a verse. And I want that to be the verse that we spend the next few weeks learning together. Okay? The verse comes from the Gospel of St. John in the very beginning, the first chapter, in verse 14. If you guys have it in front of you, you can read it with me. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want that to be our memory verse for the next couple of weeks, okay? So take that coloring sheet home with you and color it and keep it so that you can keep looking at it and you can keep practicing those words and you can sit down with your parents and you can practice those words so that we can memorize it together. Because everything else that we're going to learn about who Jesus is and what Jesus does, we're going to learn about because of this, because God came to us. Our King, Jesus, comes to save us. All right, let's say our prayer. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. Amen. At the beginning of Lent every year, I really enjoy um, pausing briefly in my, my first week to reread a book uh, by Thomas Merton that's called Thoughts in Solitude. And I especially love the way that he begins his book thoughts in solitude, because he talks about Jesus's ministry beginning by revealing to us what it looks like to be truly human. That when we look at Jesus, what we're seeing is what it looks like when God becomes human. Okay? It means that when we look at Jesus, we are seeing what it looks like when God is a person beside us. To be human the way that God intends us to be is to be human the way that God is human in the person of Jesus Christ. And at the very beginning of his ministry, when he wants to demonstrate to us what it looks like to be fully human, Jesus goes off into the wilderness alone. What a way to start your ministry. That is not how I started St. Aidan's. That was not what it looked like when we planted the church here. It was not me going off into the wilderness alone for 40 days. But Jesus, when he shows us what it looks like to be human, the way that God is human goes off into the wilderness. <clears throat> and I love the way that Merton describes this. He says, The desert fathers believed that the wilderness had been created as supremely valuable in God's eyes precisely because it had no value to us. 
He said, for us, the wastelands are just wasted space. They don't matter. They don't have any resources that we can use. There's nothing there that we can go out and, and grab a hold of or colonize or exploit. They don't offer anything to us. It's just wilderness. It's just wasted space. So if you want to learn how to be poor, and if you want to learn how to be dependent, and you want to learn how to be faithful, if you want to learn how to be human, the way that Jesus reveals to us is the way to be human, then you have to go into the wilderness. But this is what Merton says, and I love this. He says we have to be careful because when we go into that wilderness, when we go into those vast empty spaces, sometimes they reflect the wrong kind of emptiness into our hearts. And instead of finding the image of God, we find a warped reflection of ourselves. That's why he says the devils thrive in the wasted places of the earth because they are broken and bent images of God. They break and bend everything that they touch. So this is what he says. If you wander into the desert, you must take care not to go mad or to become a servant of the one who dwells there in a sterile paradise of emptiness and rage. See, this is the thing about emptiness. There are good ways to be empty and there are bad ways for us to be empty. Sometimes in, in, in philosophy or in spirituality, we talk about this idea of like holy emptiness. And if, as long as we can just be completely empty, then that's a good thing. But it's not. It's only good for us to be set free from all of the cares and the concerns of the world if we're being set free in the right way. If there's something whole and something completing and something transforming that is going to fill that space inside of us. If we are just empty, then that's all that we're going to be is just empty. So when we go into the wilderness, whether it is the wilderness of Lent or whether it's the wilderness of personal pilgrimage or private retreat, whenever we go into these places to simply be alone, to shut off in some way the noise that is all around us all the time, we have to be careful in those places because there is always the temptation to let the bad stuff back in because it's still there. Just being alone doesn't mean we're not surrounded by noise and wickedness. We take all that noise and wickedness with ourselves when we go into the wild, quiet places of the world. When we go into those places, we have to go into those places seeking God. And that means humility, and it means dependence, and it means simplicity. But there's another kind of emptiness that we can find in those places. And it looks like us finding ourselves. And so it's self-centered, and it's self-sufficient. It's self-ruled. So in our gospel lesson, when, when Jesus is preparing to begin his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness, and Luke says that the devil comes to him and presents three different temptations. And those temptations are to make himself whole by his own power. So he goes into this place not having eaten anything, and he's very, very hungry. Obviously, he's very, very hungry. It's been 40 days. Can't even conceive of that. Did you guys ever do the, 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 the 30-hour famine when you, were, when, when you were younger? I know that was a, a big deal when I was in high school, right? And go 30 hours without eating and, and then drive by McDonald's on the way home. That's right. Just sort of the opposite of the, the point of that. 
No, they would do it where we would go to McDonald's while we were fasting and smell the smell. They were they were keeping it intense. Woo! Oh me. This temptation that Jesus faces is, is who he's going to rely on. Who is he going to depend on to supply his needs? Is it going to be himself? Because that's what the devil wants. And of course, that's what the devil wants for us too, to imagine that we can supply our own needs, that we can be independent, we can be self-dependent. Or are we going to believe that what we have is sufficient for us. That the Father is here with us supplying all of our needs. The question that faces us in that place in the wilderness is who is going to supply our needs? Who is going to do it? Is it going to be me? Because there's a lot of parts of me that want to be in charge. There's a lot of parts of me that want to be the answer to all of those questions. Because I want to be in control, don't I? Or am I going to be able to trust? Am I going to be able to rely on God to supply those needs? Jesus turns it back on him and quotes to him from the book of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil comes back at him and shows him in a moment all of the kingdoms of the world and then pretends as though they belong to him. And again, there's that temptation for us because we are constantly being presented, especially in the world we live in, like we are in control of the world that's around us. Like we can change other people's behavior and we can affect other people's beliefs and we can, we can control the, the community that we live in or the neighborhood that we live in or the culture that we live in or the country that we live in. Like we're in charge of those things. Because ultimately we believe that we are the ones at the center of the story. It's a very self-centered kind of a story. But Jesus shows us that the way forward is humility. It's setting aside those desires to be in control and instead of being self-centered, to be humble. The question that we are faced with in the midst of the wilderness is who am I going to serve? Not just who's going to supply my needs, but who am I going to serve? Am I going to be the one who's in charge and calling all the shots? Or am I going to allow God to be the one who is in charge? And then, of course, he takes him up to the, the pinnacle of the temple, which is a little bit different order than we find in, in Mark and in Matthew. Uh, but the temple, as we talked about last week, is really important uh, for, for Luke in the way that he's telling the story of the gospel. And so he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, well, just throw yourself down, right? God said that the angels are going to catch you. He quotes to him from Psalm 91, the angels are going to catch you if you fall. Just throw yourself down. But Jesus again and again and again quotes to him from Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone. You shall worship the Lord your God. You will not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Who do we belong to? That's that question that we have to answer at the top of the temple. Who do I belong to? Am I the one who's in charge? Am I the ruler? Or am I a beloved child? Do I belong to my father? That phrase that Merton uses, the sterile paradise of emptiness and rage, is so poignant. It reflects the way that we in our culture do business, and it reflects oftentimes the way that we in our culture worship. It reflects the way that we do foreign policy. Sterile paradise of emptiness and rage. If you want to sum up social media, the sterile paradise of emptiness and rage. And it's sterile because there's no life there. It's just screaming into the void. Because there's not dependence. It's us trying to be in control. There's not humility. It's us at the center of the story. There's not simplicity. It's us grabbing and grasping all of the time in this sterile paradise of emptiness and rage. But there's something interesting that, that a commentary that I was, was reading this week pointed out, that at each one of these, these temptations that Jesus is presented with, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God. And for me, when I read the gospels and I hear son of God, I immediately think, well, yes, what we talked about with the kids this morning, that he is the word of God, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Son. And that's absolutely right. But there's another deeper meaning to that word, the Son of God. Because Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And it's in that wilderness that he discovers who the Son of God is. It's in that wilderness that he is the Son of God. Not just in the sense that he is the second person of the Trinity, but he is the Son of God in the same way that Israel is referred to as the Son of God. Israel is referred to that way throughout the book of Exodus when they are led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a period of fasting and testing and trials. Jesus is not only the Son of God who has come to set people free from their sin, but he is going to show us the way forward, the way that we were supposed to have lived, the way that God's people were supposed to follow God into the wilderness, to find obedience, to find simplicity, to find service, to find worship. Now, in Jesus, that story is told again, but this time it's told true. This time, the story of God's people is told correctly because Israel in Jesus goes into the wilderness and is faced with the choice to complain or the choice to be dependent. And they're faced with the choice to, to test God or with the choice to endure in humility. And they're faced with the choice of idolatry or of submission to the will of God. Jesus is leading us into a new 
Exodus. He has brought his people out of Egypt and is leading them toward the land of promise. And he does that in his person. And he completes that at the cross. And he does it again this year, today, in our lives and in our hearts. Jesus is leading us into the wilderness. So often when I heard this story growing up of Jesus' temptation, it was sort of like a bullet point list on how to deal with temptation in your own life. But that's not what's happening. That's not why Luke tells us this story. Luke doesn't tell us the story of the temptation of Jesus in order for you and I to know how to say no to the devil. Jesus tells this story through Luke because he wants us to know that he said no to the devil. And if you and I belong to him, then that no is our no too. It's not something that we accomplish because we memorize enough scripture verses. We should memorize scripture verses, but not because they're weapons, because they reveal to us who God is. The answer to temptation is not, I have learned the secret code that I can use to make the devil leave me alone. The answer to temptation is, I belong to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who said no. The answer to temptation when I am facing fear in the world around me, or when I'm facing fear inside my own heart and life, or when I'm facing the, the, the screaming abyss that is all around me, when I find myself lost in the sterile paradise of emptiness and rage, I am not alone because I belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. We are not alone in the wilderness. We are loved we have been purchased. We have been saved. We have been set free. We have been adopted. And the one who loves us is leading us, not into a place where we're going to find more fear, not into a place where we're going to find more control, not into a place where we're going to find, uh, find all of the things that we've ever wanted but instead, we're going to find ourselves day by day, bit by bit, moment by moment, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We see there in the wilderness, Jesus. We see there in the wilderness, the image of the triune God. We see there in the wilderness, an icon of God's love. This is Jesus. This is God saves, who is our king. Our king is God who has come to save his people. And so together, this year in Lent and every year in Lent, you and I walk side by side with each other, with Jesus into the wilderness to see what God is doing, to see what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, to see what it looks like to be human the way that God is human, and to experience again God's salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, Check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.